You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So before we get to it this week, I have to tell you a few things about my weekend last week. I was up in Escutney, Vermont for the Vermont Overland, which for those who don't know about the event is a really big gravel race. And really gravel in this context is just a big umbrella term that includes ancient unmaintained roads that are really just rocky, steep suggestions of roads with huge potholes and large rocks and drop-offs and sandy roads and muddy all kinds of roads. Gravel really just doesn't do this one justice. It's also 54 miles long and packs a whopping 7,000 plus feet of climbing. I mean, it's Vermont. It's not flat. As a special treat this year, it dumped buckets of rain on us the night before. And though it looked like it was going to be a nice day, just as the gun went off, it started pouring on us again. And that lasted for about an hour or two at the start of the event, turning those unmaintained suggestions of roads into a carnival ride of mud, slop, sand, and slippery sensations. It was pretty fun. But my point here is, as is the case with many of these events, the field was about 20 to 25% women, which is often what you get. And I know promoters are working on bringing more ladies into the game. But what I found really super cool was how many in the feisty demographic there were. As I was riding, so many women wrote up to me to say hello and thank you for the podcast and I love what you're doing. Hell, there were men who came up to me and said, my wife loves your podcast. Thank you. And it just, A, it's super heartwarming and B, it's super heartwarming. So when I got back to my office after the race, I checked the results page and out of the 188 women who finished that day, 90 were 40 plus. That's 48%, nearly half of that women's field were 40 plus years old. About a half a dozen of the women were 60 plus. And that may not sound like a big number, but when you consider that I've done races with only 15 women in the whole field, it is absolutely something to smile about. And those were just the finishers. I met more women who started the race and that were not able to finish because they were hypothermic. Again, the conditions were super rough. So those numbers are probably even higher. So hats off to all you ladies. You are all out there lining up, showing up, representing and kicking ass. And I am super proud to be part of this amazing group of trailblazers. Speaking of amazing trailblazers, this week's guest is definitely one. I sat down with Lenita Anthony, a longtime veteran in clinical exercise physiology, program development, and fitness education. She, like us, has been training and racing and riding all through the changes that come during and beyond the menopause transition. So we sat down to talk the nuts and bolts of exercise programming during this time. How do you balance all the facets of your training especially since we need even more facets now, like mobility work and more strength training and additional recovery, and also how to set some new exciting goals during this time. 
Lenita is a certified health coach for Duke Integrative Medicine and a clinical exercise physiologist, as well as a master educator for stages cycling. She's also a lifelong athlete. She has raced triathlons of all distances from the earliest days of the sport, including the Ironman Hawaii World Championships in Kona. In more recent years, she has put her competitive focus into track cycling, where she has won national and world championship titles and set four age group world records in both individual pursuit and team pursuit. She volunteers as a ride leader for the Challenged Athletes Foundation, and she also loves surfing with her sons near her home in San Diego and has offered to have a retreat for her someday and teach us how to surf, and I would totally love that. (laughs) I think you will all enjoy this one as much as I did. It's so great to sit down with someone who lives it, who knows it, and who teaches it. Before we get to it, This is my little weekly reminder to come join us on our social media channels. We are at Feisty Menopause on both Instagram and Facebook. We have a private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can come in and join all of these conversations. And if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got the Feisty Menopause membership where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that at feistymenopause.com. You can also go there and learn about our upcoming summit. As you may have heard by now, COVID, we had to change to an all-virtual format. We are heartbroken, but thankfully, we put on a really kick-ass performance summit during COVID last year, and I am 1,000% confident we can do it again, all-virtual for the menopause one. We will have to wait to play together until all of this is clear. I also have an email. So if you have ideas for guests or want to drop me a line, hit me up at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. Finally, as always, you keep sending the reviews, the ratings, the stars, the hearts. The show is continuing to grow. I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Okay, enough of me for real. Let's have a quick word about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. Mm-hmm. 
I am so happy to have you here, Lenita, because uh, as we were just talking about offline, this stuff is really confusing. But like, <laughs> you know, I find myself like I'm people people ask all the time, like because, well, let's face it, you know, especially when we start talking about athletes going through this transition and, and also like intersecting with getting a little older, you know, we start telling them, well, you need to make sure that you lift and you make sure that you do your mobility mm-hmm. and you make sure blah, blah, blah. And they're like, when? You know, like, what what does that look like? Especially our three sport athletes, you know, which are, you know, we have quite a few triathletes who are already like, okay, um, I do work, you know? So, um, yeah, I'd like to talk sort of broadly about how you program, especially strength training within endurance training. Like, what does that look like from, from a global perspective? And, right. and it probably changes throughout the season, right? Depending what you're yeah, doing. I- I think, you know, it's, it's really helpful to look at it in a macro cycle, like a be, you know, you've got your preseason type of um, situation. You've got your, when you're training hard or getting ready or prepping for an event, that's a different scenario as well. And then you're racing. And I think all of those require a little different strategy. Um, but it is, it is a lot to handle. And I do agree with you. There can be this laundry list of to do's, you know, (laughs) that like you mentioned, and it's pretty hard to fit it all in and juggle it. And I think, you know, it can be very individual in terms of how that takes shape. Sometimes for some individuals, um, you know, their time is, is more limited and they have to be more limited in the scope of that, especially like you said, the tri-sport athletes, but I think fitting in strength training year round, honestly, for this demographic for us it's, it's an absolute, it's, it's a necessary thing. You know, our bone mineral density doesn't know what season it is. <laughs> it doesn't right. really care. Right. That's fair. And it's not going to yeah. be kind to us if we forget about it. Um, I just think it's super essential. And I think just in terms of our longevity in our sports, as we want to participate through the years, it's just a key ingredient. But I know for myself, how that looks again, throughout the year is different. Um, I tend to think of the time I'm hitting the, the strength training the hardest is literally after my season ends. So at that point in time, you know, I, I'm kind of done with the bike for a while. I don't mind putting it down for a bit. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of been racing and training hard on that. And the break from that mentally for me is helpful. I'll take up uh, surfing more often and, and hiking more often, getting back into running a little bit and those types of things. But I will make a a key point of really starting to build my strength training program back up through the winter. For me, that is, you know, from the fall through the winter and into the spring. So I've got a really good base going into when I'm starting to reintroduce cycling into my routine and and building my endurance in that that, uh, arena. So for me, that's really helpful. And then through that training season, when I'm, you know, getting more fitness on the bike, being able to still get in the gym is key. And I know that for a lot of us, you know, the difficulty with that is, is you're going to feel kind of not so great some days on the bike, if that's your thing, if you're, you know, finishing doing some hard sets in the gym that are taking a little bit out of you. And I think sometimes we avoid that because we don't, you know, especially women, sometimes we might be riding in a group, especially with men and you know, you're sort of hanging on for dear life. <laughs> so how do you fit in those days when you're going to feel the effects of your strength training on your ride? And it's going to cost you a little bit in terms of performance. 
Um, and I think, you know, it's just important to remember that training is training. It's not actually racing. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, and that's true. I mean, you'll feel it. You'll feel it anywhere, right? You'll feel it running. You'll feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will always, there's always that little push and pull with endurance and strength. So how do you, what is when you're in a season, right? And you mm-hmm. are working in still, let's call it maintenance, strength training. Um, where do you put it? Well, so that's a really good question as well, because um, there's different theories on that, right? Some people will say it should be done before the endurance exercise. And some people will say, do it after the endurance exercise. How do you stagger it? Do you stagger it during your week, you know, on an easy day? Or do you want to layer it on top of what's already a high intensity day? Which is what I tend to do. Yeah, I do think there's a little trial and error there because what I found is is people are different, but in particular, and um, I would say that with some of my um, just training partners on the on the track on the velodrome, uh, one of the things that we we kind of discovered is we were all trying to figure this out, getting ready for Worlds a couple of years ago, heavy strength workouts and high intensity intervals. Personally, as I've gotten older, and I know this is a very common thread, I won't feel a lot of soreness until the second day. So if I can get that strength training in prior to the high intensity workout within like about 12 to 18 hours or something, we all just anecdotally experience like an enhanced ability to perform those high intensity efforts. And I really think it has to do something with the neural stimulation mm-hmm, and I agree. the muscles with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that I feel kind of magical. Customer. I'm like, woo! Yeah. I yeah. like deadlifts. I feel like I am <laughs> yes. invincible. And then the next day, I don't feel as. Yeah, no, I have the- heard you said that, and that has totally resonated with me because it's it's for real, right? Like yeah. it does. So I think actually, kind of staggering it prior to can be one method that works really well. Um, but I do think there's some individual variation on that. Um, And one thing I would say too, Celine, is that during that racing season, and we're talking about people being very kind of tight on time, especially when they have three sports to train in, let's not forget, you know, that strength is far harder to attain than it is to maintain. And I know for myself, I I can't fit it in, but if you can just maintain one day a week, maybe every other week you get a couple, you're going to maintain 90, 95% of what you had for quite some time. And that that's been borne out in the research as well. Um, so that's kind of a helpful tip for some people. It's also interesting. It's been also borne out in the research, even, even for younger athletes, which I find interesting They've they've done uh, masters and F and younger athletes that, that even if you have to take away some of those just long endurance d- sessions, you know, and, and put in that strength, your times won't may benefit or, or, or probably will because you become more efficient, you know, and those studies have been done. We have a hard time wrapping our heads around that still. Right. Right. No, I agree with you. And, and I've seen those as well. And in a variety of sports, you know, and it's interesting because you look at the different individual sports and they've kind of come around to that conclusion or coaches within those sports at different points in time, but everybody's yeah. kind of there now where they weren't. Oh my you know, God. They used to tell you ago, not even to look at a weight. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Cyclists was, it was yeah. terrible. Like yeah. just, you know, runners too, to a certain extent, they have been very weight phobic, um, you know, weight training phobic and weight phobic, but, um, yeah, no, I, the, the coaches, I don't know any pros who don't lift heavy even, you know, I like, that's just, you know, for the efficiency and for, to make yourself 
resilient, you know, like, yeah. So yeah, one day, one day a week does seem, does seem to be enough. I mean, I, I think that that's really important for people to hear because, I still hear people being like, well, if I can only get in one day a week, it's not worth it. And I'm just like, well, you're still totally. doing it one day a week. And that yeah. like, that's yeah, not it's true. It's not true. It's just yeah. not true. Um, I think that maybe comes from the mindset of, you know, if they are an endurance athlete and, and the aerobic activity, you know, one day a week doesn't feel sufficient. So it could be a carryover from that, but, but it is, um, it's going to definitely, like I said, um, save you a lot of work if you that research that has been done off. too folks right <laughs> like that one day a week is, is oh, yeah. sufficient yeah oh yeah it has been and you know there's some research in in that realm where well it's still a big argument i guess a little bit in the weight training world but um just in terms of how much we actually do need and you know it's back to that less is more but it's about quality quality over quantity so when you go to that one day a week you know make it a good day you know we're talking whole body um, in a, in a pretty complete workout, but maintaining has been shown to be something that it, it extends far longer than how we tend to perceive it when we're not doing activity, whether it's the strength training, fitness gains that we hang on to, or even some of the cardiovascular fitness gains, we don't lose them quite as quickly as it feels like. Right. <laughs> right. And, and also before we depart that, that, this point that we're on for a long time i i think that we lifted too much like bodybuilders you know like and the magazine would have us be like oh you should do bicep curls and arm raises and tricep pushback you know like we 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 took each little instead of just like really doing the lovely compound movements of hitting everything yeah it just and of course you're in there for an hour like you can't possibly not be in there for an hour but it's not we don't need to be doing that kind of right yeah Right. No, I would agree. The complex movements, a multi-joint, you know, the, and functional training has really kind of steered us all in that direction. And I think the application to our sport is, is obvious. And like you said, it's just a bit of an unnecessary time suck to be working those individual muscle groups for <laughs> endless hours. <laughs> so, yeah. so what might it, what might it look like let's take a week and give people a week, like what that mm -hmm. might look like. If we're going to work in recovery rest and mm -hmm. we're going to work in some high intensity days, you know, which on, on the endurance side and strength, like take us through a, a Monday through Sunday, mm. up, like what that might, just for an example, you right. know, and, and realizing you need to play with those folks. Like I like back to back hard days, you know, whether, whatever that looks like, not everybody does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that, but I do agree with you also that it is somewhat individual and it does take a little trial and error um, mm -hmm. just for each person to find out for themselves. For me personally, I've, what I've learned, and I think for a lot of, again, other women in this demographic that I've worked with um, that are maintaining some type of pretty strong fitness, I will add that, um, that those back-to-back -back days of either two or possibly even up to three kind of blocks of hard days um, consecutively can be really productive and we can withstand it and yet be able to kind of, um, you know, have an appropriate overload that you cannot then be in a hole for days. Um, take a day, then you take a recovery day. Um, and then, you know, that recovery day, not necessarily being complete rest, but just low intensity endurance zone one, zone two, no more. Um, and then coming back the next day, maybe that 
I guess, I mean, if you wanted to do a week, um, the way I would kind of look at it is probably a Saturday and a Sunday where you're getting those longer duration or high intensity days. Let's say we do that and then we come back Monday and that could be a rest, not rest, full rest, but recovery day, low intensity. Um, coming back Tuesday and being able to be able to get out there and do some shorter, higher intensity efforts. Um, and then maybe again, Wednesday, Thursday, recovery, Friday, rest. That's kind of a typical week for me anyway. Um, and and when you so said was, rest, you meant full rest. Like I like I to take, have one day yes. of just like actually not doing anything. And that means don't paint the house, mow the lawn, clean the laundry room. You know, I mean, it's like a hard just thing. it's a hard day to find. Right. Which is tempting <laughs> because you. you're like, I'm not going to do anything today except everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and because some of those things have gotten pushed to the end of the week because you have been spending your time doing this workouts. But yeah, I tend to use the word recovery, meaning we're active. We're doing something. It's just lower intensity and rest literally meaning just what you said, where I'm not out, you know, trying to pull weeds for five hours and calling it a rest day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's taking a full, I highly encourage people to take a full rest day because you feel so much better, like so to let every, better. so much better to let everything <laughs> sink in feels yeah. so much better. Cause it's hard. Like you're like, Oh, I'll just go for an easy run or I'll just, and then maybe you feel pretty good. And all of a sudden it's not an easy run. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Or, the most I yeah. try to allow is, is walking, you know, walking the dog. That's, right. that's, that's still rest. Um, so you don't have to be on the couch all day, but I agree with you. I think just keeping the workouts out of it, it's a hard thing, balancing the overload and the recovery, you know? And I mean, if we had that recipe and we could bottle it up and sell it, think how rich we'd be because <laughs> it goes to the, really goes to the heart of optimizing performance. Doesn't it is, is finding that magic formula. Mm -hmm. um, where the overload is enough that it's challenging, but it's manageable, right? right? To where you can recover with a day of rest. You do come back feeling stronger, fresher. I think a lot of it is mental too, for a lot of us that have been in our sports for a long time, um, comparing ourselves now to maybe our younger selves, which is perhaps not realistic or healthy and really kind of trying to you know, I think wrapping our mind around the fact that on those rest and recovery days, stuff is happening, you know, like super compensation as a sports scientists call it, you know, we're, we're enhancing our capillary density, we're new enzyme, aerobic enzymes, increasing blood volume, like, you know, and actually helping people understand things are happening. It doesn't all happen when you're on the bike or on the trail or in the pool it's happening on those days. You're taking that time to let your body absorb that stress and, and eat, adapt, when, please <laughs> feed yourself on your rest day and feed yourself. Your body, yeah. your body is doing work of repair and regeneration and restocking everything. And if you don't put anything in it, it you're, you're not going to no, get the is, same out of it. That is true. I don't know about you, Selene, but sometimes I notice on my recovery or rest days, I'm like, why am I so hungry? I didn't I'm do starving. today. Yeah, I'm starving. <laughs> and then I go, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. I still need that. And I mean, you know, let's face it, our resting metabolic rate really accounts for the vast majority of our caloric needs on any yeah. day, no matter how much exercise we do. Right. So no, that's a that's an excellent point. How do you how do you uh how do you cue women to know when they're finding that right balance? You know, I hear people. Yeah, it's I still you hear people they're out there, they're like, wow, I'm just flat, or 
not feeling it and they their immediate instinct is to i i must have to train harder i must have to you know do more high intensity i must have to put in more whatever time and and sometimes i'm like is that really the answer or do you actually need when's the last time you took an actual deloading week an actual week where you're Right. But the, the, the load is way lower. You know, I, I think right. people forget to work that into if they're not working with a coach that's sort of forcing the issue, they sort of forget that it should be, we talked macro cycle of a year, but also within a month, you know, I mean, maybe it's like two weeks kind of hard and one week not, or mm-hmm. one, in, you know, it depends. That's a little bit personal too, like what works best for you. But certainly one week out of a month, in my opinion, should be less of a load all the way around. Yeah. 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 No, I, I do agree with that. And I think experiencing it, like you say, we don't tend to, most people don't tend to plan that without a coach kind of by your side telling you, you need to do this or looking at your training program going, oh, that's all I have to do this week. <laughs> right. And allowing yourself those, again, every third, every fourth week to just that, you know, cut the volume by 50%. Um, allow yourself that time to come back and then recognize how you actually feel the week you do come back because it's going to be night and day. And yeah, I think that's why can... you taper for events, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it works right. when you taper for an event. Right. Yeah. Right. Timing those tapers is tricky sometimes, but, but yeah, if you get in that routine where I agree with you at least one week a month where we're doing that, then you can come back and you can have a really strong week and you can still not feel like you dug yourself in a deep hole, even though, the volume and the intensity both might've gone way up that week post recovery. Um, yeah, I think knowing when to take rest, that's, that's a real difficult thing because, you know, we all tend to fall into that mindset of more is better. Mm-hmm. More is the answer. And especially I think at this stage of life, you know, we gotta be smarter. <laughs> we can't always train harder, but we can train smarter. And incorporating that in a way that makes sense, you know, it's tricky because uh, going off how you feel can be useful and it can also sometimes be misleading, right? Because there's two ways that we feel. There's how our body feels and then it's what our brain is telling us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It can be hard to differentiate those, right? It can be hard to know the difference. And I think, you know, a lot of my trial and error has been looking at my, you know, whether let's say, you know, during a given week, I'm just not feeling it. I'm, I've got this workout plan and I'm feeling more fatigued. I'm feeling unmotivated. I'm feeling overloaded. And let's be honest, the rest of life plays into that. It's not just all about training, you know, the stress of, of whatever else life is throwing at us, that, that cognitive load, it, it detracts from our performance and our energy levels. I like to kind of look backwards and look at my weeks and see what I've done, see if it's more than I thought, or maybe it looks fine, right? Maybe I don't look like I should be feeling this tired. The next step for me sometimes is just to test it out. Just tell myself, okay, put on your running shoes or get on your bike. No pressure. You don't have to do the workout as planned. Let's see how you feel. Because there are those days when you get out there and you're 10, 20 minutes in and everything changes, you know, <laughs> and you can have a great day. But I like to tell clients and, and I try to abide by myself. It's 
if 10 to 20 minutes in, I'm still not feeling it, I'm going to start listening to what my body and my mind is telling me and pay a little attention and take that rest when I, when I'm not sure that's probably the safer thing is to err on that side. If I'm not starting to come around um, by several minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes into the workout. Totally. No, I think that's excellent advice because sometimes it's just inertia, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's that many times I've mm-hmm. gone, I'm like, why are my legs like sandbags? And, you know, I just work it through and I'm like, oh, they, you know, they come around and they feel better and it's a great day, you know? And, and, but, but, but especially, you know, in this demographic and we talk about it a lot, you know, if your hormones are doing crazy things, they, it can definitely mess with you. It can shift your blood plasma volume. It can shift your, your motivation and your serotonin. Like it, it affects everything. And like allowing that grace to have a change of your workout will, will keep you stoked in the long run, as opposed to pushing yourself on those days. Right. I mean, because it, like you only have so much mental energy and you're using it for everything in life and to use it to berate yourself to be like, no, today was my 2040 right. workout and I'm going to do it, you know, is why you're like if, do it. You, you probably feel exactly. better. Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's it. Having grace, having a deeper understanding that our physiology is changing and that it can have those kind of influences on us. Um, so that we don't beat ourselves up. Like you say, I think that is really important. And just being able to talk about it with other women like this and go, oh, okay. So it's not just me. I'm not just being a lazy <laughs> excuse maker. I hear that right. all the time. Right. Like women are like, literally will say, I feel like I'm getting lazy. I'm afraid to get, la- I'm afraid I'm getting lazy. I've heard that. So I'm like, you're not, you, <laughs> let me see your training. <laughs> you're afraid of it, you're probably not. <laughs> I, that's what I, right. I'm just like, that's such a strange, that hits my ears so oddly every time I hear it. I'm like. I don't think that's a worry. I don't, I don't think, think that's, that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're aware of it and afraid of it, it's probably not. The, yeah. You're not. The problem. You, that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it really is just giving yourself because then you're just working. You know, I certainly understand when you got a race coming, you have a race coming and you have to like pull the tricks out of the bag to make yourself feel better, making sure that you're super hydrated ahead of time. If you are like, you know, your hormones are out of whack and you need to worry about thermal regulation. No, that's a whole different story. But like in the regular training cycle, working with your physiology, what this show is all about, I think will save you mental angst and energy, which is not for nothing. It's very important. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, the mental, the mental energy, the mental angst that all plays into it. And sometimes the workout's going to help alleviate that and lighten that load. And sometimes it's going to feel like it's detracting and overwhelming. And I think we all have to kind of just really sort that out. It's, it's not an easy question to discern all the time. Yeah. 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 Especially I think when you're, it it becomes magnified when you're with other people too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, I mean, if I'm doing something by myself, it's probably not that big of a deal. If I'm like, "Eh, you know, maybe I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. Or vice versa, I feel even better. So I'm going to do this. But then when you're with this group, whether it be running or riding or master swim, I think those feelings become magnified. You know, yeah. it, it's, it becomes yeah. harder to be like, oh, I'm not really not sure yeah. if this is. Yeah. And then sometimes maybe you suck it up and sometimes you don't. <laughs> you know, and, I'm then, not sure and there are those days you have to suck it up. You know, not every yeah. workout is going to feel awesome. In fact, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel average on most of them, great on a, 
on a few, right? And yeah. that's pretty normal. And then there's those ones where you do kind of suck it up and you just get through it and you find out you're okay. Um, that's the whole, that's like that razor edge you're trying to push all the time when you're trying to get to that, that next level. And it requires getting through some of those days. But I think if you, if you find yourself, you know, in a given week, you know, repeatedly unmotivated, um, you know, maybe not being able to hit the power targets or the speed targets that your program calls for. I mean, these are kind of red flags, right? Trouble sleeping. I mean, we certainly want to be on the lookout. Mood changes or just a lot of irritability or depression. I mean, these are some signs that we can be aware of that it's time to back it down and and take a little more recovery time. Totally. And taking it one step further, it, because we're talking to women who who can be in this transitional time with with their hormones, it is also okay to have a conversation with your doctor. You know, I mean, we, we talk about that a lot. Like if this is a persistent thing that is not necessarily related to overreaching or coming into overtraining, but, but a hormonal shift, it is okay to work with your doctor to smooth out this transition and whatever that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I've been fortunate to have some real good sports medicine docs, both male and female, but in particular, the female ones have been, you know, mindful of the effects of our hormones changing. And it's been helpful to have conversations with them. Um, they have that understanding of, of what you, what I want to do through this time and finding that balance. And sometimes they're telling you things you already know, but it's reinforcing. And like you say, kind of giving you that permission that you won't give yourself. True. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's go into some interval training specifically, which is, I know something that is near and dear to your, your heart and your training. Um, you know, there are so many permutations and people, again, a lot of self-coached people, a lot of people just reading stuff online, maybe stuff I've written, you know, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do these interval workouts. And then they, they just don't really know what to choose. Like, should, should, should they do Tabata? Should they do VO2? You know, like, let's talk about, um, Let's just give the the rundown of sort of what you're looking at, what you're trying to achieve and and like where to start with it. If you're, if you're kind of just wading into these waters of, of doing some intervals for yourself. Yeah. Well, the starting place, I think, you know, there's so much information out there. You're right about high intensity interval training. And I think just to begin with, it's actually Dick hears cancer. Real. I hear. No, I mean, it's just like. <laughs> I believe it's, that's true. I believe it is true. Ever, like everything. <laughs> if it would right. only do my dishes. It's ubiquitous. It's <laughs> everywhere. And, and if you go to a gym, pretty much every class on the schedule is hit. And it's like, yeah. okay, but I thought we were only supposed to do this once or twice a week. Right. I know. Like every single day. <laughs> it's every single day. Three times a day. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, definitely it's not something that we need to do or even should do that often. It's, so that's, that's the first thing. Like it's kind of overdone in many circles. And when it's overdone, let's face it, it ends up not actually being high intensity at all. So where the benefits come <laughs> literally are because it is, you know, so intense and that your body can't tolerate day after day of doing that. You won't be able to achieve it you won't get the benefits. Um, so once again, less truly is more, I think one to two days a week for our particular age group is, is going to get us a long way. I think uh-huh. even three is probably pushing it for most. I agree. Most of I agree. Life. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, starting place, I guess the good thing is if you're starting out, 
you're probably just looking for, you know, some of the changes that, that we've talked about, you've talked about in your group, you know, the changes in body composition that seem to be quite favorable, increased insulin sensitivity, some of these other health benefits. And the good news on that is you don't have to be quite as specific or rigid in the work to rest ratios. What you need to do is you need to get yourself in a state where you literally are at like a nine or 10 on a 10 point scale of rate of perceived exertion. That's the key. Is it it's not a seven and it's not an eight. <laughs> it's to where when that time frame, you know, anywhere from 15 seconds to roughly around two, three minutes, when that time frame expires, that you are you're struggling to make it through the last few seconds at the same intensity. So yeah. intensity. I would argue that three minutes is even hard for people to, to three minutes manage is hard. That. That's really yeah. more of a VO2 max type effort. And um that takes a lot more pacing skill and they can be really helpful and really useful. But yeah. We're talking just, just high. And then, you know, we're probably looking up to two minutes um, and 30 seconds is, is a really nice time frame because everybody can kind of handle that. And, and you know, yeah, you it's doable. Themselves. You're no, like, okay, yeah. you always look down and it's been only 20 seconds, but then you only have 10 <laughs> seconds to go. Right. Like, right. <laughs> right. But then yeah. in terms of, of wrestling, I think that's really kind of underdone. I think there's a bit of a, a mind. I mean, rest between that- intervals. I'm, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, to differentiate between the rest we were talking about earlier. So rest between intervals. I, I do see a lot of times where there's a kind of a compulsory need to keep the heart rate elevated. And mm-hmm. while that can be one strategy, I think it's really important to get adequate rest between the intervals. If you are doing enough repeats or you have in your plan, you're going to do that 30 seconds. You're going to repeat it let's say you're going to do it six to 10 times, right? You're not going to get the same intensity. Even if your perception of the effort is as high on each subsequent interval, if you're not getting adequate recovery, you're not going to be hitting the same intensity, whether it's in terms of, you know, power output or speed or whatever you're doing, it's going to be declining. And you can, it's one thing I love about the bike. You can literally see, you know, your watch going down and what you want is you want boom quality. And then you want that Valley recovery. And then you want that boom quality, the Valley of recovery. And you want the repetition to show a consistent quality. Um, that's where the real benefits lie. When, when we shorten the recovery too much, it doesn't look like that. It looks like a peak and then each peak gets lower and lower. And pretty soon you just kind of got an undulating flat line. That's not where you're going to find the benefits of intensity training. It's not going to happen there. So, so what does that look like in, in application? Because a lot of times Mm -hmm. you'll see, you know, 30 by 30 Mm -hmm. or even Mm -hmm. 30 by 15. I've done some intervals, which, you know, it's kind of a, it makes it a quite the long workout, but they're very satisfying because of what you're talking about. The the quality is there where there's like a full three to four minutes between, you know, a, a short interval. And then you're like, it, it's, it's an, it's an interesting workout because you are really nailing it, but it, it's a long, it's a long rest, a long stretch in between, especially for endurance minded athletes. <laughs> we don't even get that. I remember when I started riding on the, on the velodrome and as an endurance athlete doing the efforts and then continuing to go in circles. Cause I didn't get weather sitting down on the infield. The reason I didn't get it is because I wasn't doing what they were doing on the efforts. <laughs> I thought <laughs> right. I was riding quote unquote hard, not even close to what they were doing. So yeah, it, it's a different strategy, but there are unique and separate benefits. So, um, you how know, long do you think is good for a, for a, a rest between so a high intensity interval? This is the way I look at it. I look at there's 
kind of three different ways to employ recovery in interval training. One of them, uh, kind of briefly, is like one of them is no real recovery. So I would call that more of a surge. Okay. Like so a Tabata? Really, Tabata has an incomplete recovery. So no recovery would be like you're riding in zone three, tempo, sweet spot, whatever you want to call it, and you're surging over threshold for 20, 30 seconds, and you're coming down and boom, you're holding, you're holding on pace. Okay. So that would be a no recovery, but it's interval like. Yep. Incomplete recovery, Tabata. Okay. 100% incomplete recovery. And I think Tabata gets a lot of things that are called Tabata aren't actually Tabata. They're sort of Tabata inspired. <laughs> but that's yes. a perfect 100%. Yes. <laughs> People are like, you can do Tabatas on anything. I'm like, yeah, yeah. no, I, you can't actually. But yeah. You probably I, can't even do an actual Tabata <laughs> one time through. I mean, they were, you know, they were not developed uh, for the general populace in a fitness setting. And they're fun. I don't, I'm not saying they're without use, but that is a scenario where you're going to get that declining mm -hmm. um, output or intensity over the repetitions. You're just not going to be able to replenish that ATPCP. It is not time. Um, and most people aren't willing to push themselves to the level of discomfort that an Olympic athlete might for whom they were originally developed, you know what I've heard is that when he did that protocol, they, these Olympic athletes, you know, they're willing to go to the point where they're going to be vomiting and passing out. And, you know, that's, that's not what we're going to ask of our fitness clients or even one of ourselves. So that would be an incomplete recovery you know, or the 30 thirties. That's a super popular protocol. And I think it's useful enough. I do, but the outcome, um, you know, the training stimulus becomes different. It becomes more of a, it's more akin. Like, you know, I literally did this in my spin class the other day, we did three by six, minutes of 30 30s with four minutes in between well so the way i look at that six minutes of 30 on 30 off and we are trying to hit a certain power target but it's declining is it's kind of the equivalent of if we had been in zone five or done a vo2 max effort we're not mm -hmm. really developing anaerobic power per se mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're really developing high uh, aerobic capacity type characteristics um and so, but it's an easier way to get through six minutes than trying to hold a zone five power. That is kind of brutal. So I do think they're useful and I enjoy them, but I think what we shortchange ourselves on is the next thing, which is that interval training that has a full and complete recovery of the type you were talking about, because now we're really repeating those efforts with that same quality, that same intensity of effort, that same power output or what it might be, you know, on the running tracks split times, whatever lap times. Um, and we're getting some of those benefits to our body composition and to our bone density or muscle mass and um, not bone density so much on the bike, but I was thinking about the running, those kind of speeds are the kind of speeds that can generate some impact forces as well. Myriad benefits from that kind of training. And it's just getting yourself or your clients to accept that it's okay to recover recovery is the goal between those intervals and recovery means I can drink water. I could actually breathe with my mouth closed perhaps before I start that interval. You know, I feel ready to go. I'm not making myself. I mean, there may be a little bit of that, but you know, <laughs> I feel like I could do that again. So it may be, you know, if you're doing anaerobic type, you know, let's say we're doing 30 seconds on and we're taking like you say, three minutes off, it could be four to eight times as much recovery as rest. And I think that's the kind of interval training that we maybe don't get enough of. Um, 
like I said, I kind of learned in my own life, just having come from an endurance background and starting to ride the track, I really learned there's a whole nother set of levels <laughs> intensity wise up there that you kind of have to train yourself to even get used to, to find and when you find them, you want recovery. Um, you want that time because it's not possible to repeat those efforts without it. And, you know, I, I heard someone say one time, you know, I'm referring to those kind of intervals that failure is success. And I kind of like that phrase. And I don't, I don't mean that failure, like you failed. I mean, gosh, I can barely complete this time duration at this intensity. That kind of is the outcome we're looking for. Right. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, I think that a, a track bike lends itself to that a little easier to find that place you're talking about and you know, having having ridden on the, on the track than than almost anything else, honestly. I mean, but, I mean, you you can you can do it you can do it in other modalities. Certainly, you can do it in the pool. You can do it running, but um, well, yeah. I would agree with you. I, I think the track bike is good, and I'll tell you what's really good as well is a spin bike. Mm -hmm. I, I teach a lot of spin classes and um, you can incorporate some really nice interval training in those. Uh, not all instructors do, but um, it certainly is a modality that is, it makes it feasible to work at high intensity. You know, we're always, I think at this age um, and stage of life, we're kind of balancing the, our resilience, our avoidance of injury with that intensity. Cause let's face it. I mean, that is one of the risks that goes hand in hand with it and bikes, no impact, right? You, you build a base and you've got some pretty good strength. And you've, if you've got good mechanics, then it's really a really safe environment to be able to push yourselves to those levels. So it's definitely my preferred mode and the pool works as well. Running it's, it's more challenging, you know, it is. For sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Because it's, yeah it's impact is the mechanicals it's all of the other, mm -hmm. the other things is there anything that you recommend um to facilitate recovery from high intensity sessions mm. facilitating recovery i mean I, number one is sleep right? yeah, number one yeah. is sleep get, get your yeah. sleep and, mm -hmm. and if you've got you know a situation where you're waking up multiple times a night with with night sweats and stuff i mean gosh go back listen to some of your great podcasts interviewing experts on that and and see what you can find out with your doctor, because I think sleep is just absolutely the key. Um, certainly nutrition is right up there as well. Um, and you don't wait after those workouts. It's like fuel afterwards. You'll be glad you did. It'll help your workout the next day. It'll help everything. Don't wait. Um, prepare for that plan for that and have it available. Yeah. Women, women have a shorter window. It's not fair, but uh, you know, Stacy mm -hmm. has, has lectured on this and I've written on it that when you look at the research for like shutting down that catabolic state and really, you know, the muscle protein synthesis and the restocking glycogen, men can almost toy around with almost three hours at some point and women have like 30 minutes. So, you know, it is, it is well worth having your, um, you know, I don't love shakes, but they are, there's a place and a time. And I think that after something like that is not a bad place or time for a, for a healthy shake without tons of sugar. Um, and by, by tons of sugar, I mean, you know, some of these protein shakes are, are candy and a candy in a bottle. Um, but, but it is important because that, that window does make a difference when you're talking about high intensity 
high intensity work and getting the fluid helps rehydrate you. And that's a good thing too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, planning before you do that workout, where is it having it with you, having it easy to access just a little forward thinking and planning on that is really well worth it. So definitely. Is there anything about intervals that we didn't cover that you think would be important for this audience mm, to know? I, yeah, I think my, my, my number one with pet peeve with intervals is, uh, you don't have to keep on working through the recovery, you know, be active, but you know, uh, an active recovery is faster than a passive one. So you don't have to be sitting down or something, but um, allow yourself some time to recover. You get some workouts in where you really hit those tensities repeatedly and then progression. Don't forget about progression. I, I think that's really key. If, if you are someone who is starting out new to interval training and it is so highly promoted in so many settings these days, I would say be cautious and pick an activity that isn't new to you. So whatever your body's already accustomed to, be it running, swimming, biking, elliptical, try your intervals in that modality. Don't start mm-hmm. doing like something completely different at that high intensity. Row machine. Joints, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, your joints and ligaments are already right. accustomed to that. You probably have fairly good biomechanics. So just to mitigate that risk of injury, start with something you already know and then progress. There's a lot of ways you can progress intervals, not just the number of repeats, but you know, you can, you can build the intensity. You can do a little bit of shortening of the recovery as your recovery um, improves, as you see your body recovering more quickly, shorten that up a little bit, multiple sets, you know, with a longer recovery in between. Um, I, I think incorporating that rule of progression is really important as well. I'm not trying to do it all the first day, have the big picture in mind. Yeah. Because we want to be doing these long-term this is a uh, exactly yeah <laughs> exactly yeah yeah you know and and one of the things that I did want to dig into before we go is is you know when our correspondence leading up to this podcast you wrote to me that you know women in this stage of life are told by society that their best years are over and you're like that's just not true I've had some of my highest achievements physically in other ways in the decades since I have turned fifty. Um, yeah. And I'd love to hear about that because, you know, you talk about being passionate, helping women dream big, set big goals around performance. And, you know, what is, what does that look like? Cause there is definitely women start checking out a little bit. And I, yeah, you know, I, and I, and I think it's a confluence of the messages they hear and the feelings that they're feeling and looking in the rear view mirror more than they're looking ahead. And yeah. Um, yeah so Yeah, no, I would agree with all of that. I think there is a tendency to look in the rearview mirror. And, you know, there's a lot of life changes that happen about now. You know, the whole empty nest syndrome, a lot of us have aging parents that takes a lot of time. And you can get caught in that mindset that where I've been and what I've done is what mattered the most and where I'm headed is just kind of, you know, societal influences kind of make you feel or can make you feel like it's not a significant time of life, right? Like it's, and at the same time, if we really look at that, we generally have a little more time because of those things, not always, but freed up from some of the childcare things, a lot of us anyway. Um, Some people are starting to be able to cut back on their work a little bit, maybe retiring. Um, The capacity to, to actually achieve some of the goals that were too busy for earlier in life exists. And I just, I just really like to see people putting out their goals that are worth chasing and what that is to each person can be very different. But I think for me, um, 
you know, having a goal, and I think for a lot of people I've worked with, it puts a why behind what you're doing that is so much more powerful than, for example, a weight on the scale that just oh, yeah. does not yeah. take you down the long road. Um, not only is it not inspiring or motivating, it's just in the end, what has that really done to your quality of life? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think of a couple of clients and I have to tell you their story if we have time. Cause they're the no, for sure. Are. Do it. Um, so back when I was training more people individually, um, one-on-one, I used to kind of wonder why with some people, even with all the health problems they might have or challenges that could have benefited from a more active lifestyle or changes in their nutrition or whatever, it just didn't take root, right? Like they would come back and see me again and again and again. I, went to, I felt like we we're always in the same place. <laughs> right? Yes. You kind of yes. know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I like, do. Gosh, why is this? And then you have those people where they see you a few times, they get on track. And it's like, they're off and flying and they don't need you anymore. And you're like, yay, that is the best thing ever because they're on their own. They've incorporated and integrated those behavior changes into their lifestyle. It's part of who they are now. They don't need me. Um, And I think it really has to do with relying on external motivation from myself as a trainer or coach, or maybe it's someone else or some event, life event that's coming up that they want to look good for. And being, so that external motivation, if it's not present, then the desire is going to wane. Whereas if it's intrinsic and it's more from a source of inspiration, like something I want to do, something I want to achieve, something I want to accomplish, it's ever present and it's within them. And that's so much more powerful because in the end, it's all about consistency, right? And if that's with you all the time, then you're going to be consistent along the way. And it's going to become part of your lifestyle. But um, the, so the two, the two stories that come to mind is, is one woman who she's in her early fifties, um, had struggled with her weight her whole life with eating disorders and the like, never been active, never been what she would call athletic, but, you know, literally active in any way. And worked in a sports medicine clinic and finally reached out to some of her coworkers and said, Hey, you know, help me. I need a little help. I, what can I do? And she started walking basically, um, as it was her first step and decided that she wanted to climb a little local mountain. We Southern California mountain is a hill. (laughs) Yeah, not much, but it was a, it was a big goal for her at the time. And what she was so smart, I think, about and so insightful is she felt that sense of accomplishment that she got from the top when she got to the top of that. And rather than thinking about, oh, I haven't lost any weight yet, what she thought about was, I made it to the top of that hill. That's pretty cool. Let me find a bigger one and a bigger one. And before you know it, she's coming to me saying, Lenita, I want to climb Mount Whitney. And mind you, she hasn't really lost any weight yet at all. Um, that is a goal that when she first said it to me, I was just dumbfounded. I was, how do I even address this? Because that seems like so out of range for her, but she had the foresight to know that that would give her a goal to work for towards for an entire year. And she set a year in advance and she accomplished her goal and it kept her, you know, motivated, but really inspired for an entire year. And once she made it, it didn't end there. I mean, (laughs) she was taking a group of people next time she went and, she did it repeatedly and over the course of several years uh, doing these hikes and setting these goals, 
her weight naturally changed because she learned she had to fuel her body properly for these efforts. Um, it was just such a more powerful scenario, I think, than had she tried to just look every day at the scale and dream of the magic number that would make her feel good to see on it. And, it and she felt a good product. Right. But she felt good. I think what's important there and what I, what I've been trying to emphasize a lot is that a lot of people, sometimes their weight barely changes if at all, but they're still getting into the top of that mountain yeah. and yep. they are still yep. really happy to get on the top of that mountain. And that is the, as you said, that's the goal, you know, exactly. like, yeah. Well, in, in the remainder of her story, she, she dropped a lot of weight, but then she actually has, you know, struggled with it since then. Um, and I say struggled in that she'll report it to me, but she's happy about who she is. It's not a struggle in that she feels like this is still a project she has to work on. It, right. But her lifestyle looks completely different and her health and wellness is completely different. And she's okay with that. And she's, she's found something that's more important to her. Um, that is enhancing the quality of her life. Right. And so I think it's a lot of times just finding what that is. Um, and it can and, change and it can change. You know, it I mean, absolutely you, change. There yeah. are definitely people that I, that I hear from and I talk to, you know, that feel like, like we talked about before they're, they're getting lazy or they're not motivated. And I'm like, well, how long have you been doing X, Y, or Z? And they're like, Oh, 25 years, you know? And I'm like, well, okay. You know, it's, it's actually okay to look for another mountain. You know, yeah, like it's yeah. actually okay. yeah. <laughs> you've been well, up and down that one 75 times. Yeah. Maybe like, you're just tired of that mountain. You. That's okay. Yeah. I like to ask people, what do you look at and see and go, oh my gosh, that looks so fun. I wish I would have started that when I was in my 20s. Right. Whatever that is, go do it. Go do it now. I don't care if you're 60. I started surfing my mid 40s, <laughs> right? As I was going through the worst part <laughs> of my perimenopause. Uh, started riding the track in my fifties. I mean, and those oh, that's two awesome. activities I didn't know it was, uh... yeah, yeah. So, and those two activities have been, um, just a real source of joy. And I don't feel like I'm working out when I go to do those activities. I feel like I'm being my athletic self and, and, you know, it brings, um, the idea of working out into a different mindset, right? It's, it's not a have to, it's a want to, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think that, that even athletic people can lose sight of that, you know, because maybe they've never really thought of, of their, you know, they, they are very intrinsically motivated often to do the thing. And then sometimes they run out of that intrinsic motivation and they think there's something wrong with them instead of, instead of just going, okay, like, why am I suddenly not interested in that? Maybe there's something, maybe I've run that course, you know, and maybe there's another, another thing that I can pursue that would, I love that. I mean, ignite just that, whole that, concept that there's yeah. something else out there that could mean as much to you, like inspire you the way that that sport did in the beginning. I, I think back to my early days of triathlon when it was all about that. And I just got to a point and it was wonderful period of time, but I got to a point where it wasn't doing it for me anymore. I felt like I had done what I wanted to within that yeah. sport. And that's okay. That is a hundred percent. Okay. It is a hundred percent. Okay. I think yeah. we let our identities get wrapped up in things a little bit. You know, I mean, I was a mountain bike racer for a long time and I still love to mountain bike, but at some point I'm like, I don't want to pin a number on my mountain bike anymore. I just got to that point. I was just like, it's robbing some of the joy and I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. So let's find something else. Maybe that I I'm a, like, I want to do in that way, but not this. And that, yeah, that's okay. Something yeah. that you look at. And you say, oh, 
I wish I could do that. It's just not too late. That's, and I think that's really what makes going to the gym <laughs> like useful or even like, it's like, what am I going to be able to do because I have taken care of my health and fitness, right? It opens a, a world of opportunities up to you and it has nothing to do with age. And I just think it's just so important to not let that get in our heads. You know, I, I went surfing this morning with a couple of girlfriends and we're all in our uh, late fifties, early sixties. And it was just such a funny experience. We got out of the water. We're all just beaming. It was a great day out there. It's, it's super beautiful here in Southern California today and lots of young kids out there. And we caught plenty of our share of waves and we were kind of talking about it as we got out and we were all commenting on how when you're in that environment, you don't feel an age at all. You don't feel oh my goodness, I'm X number of years old. I guess I should let all the young people go on this wave or I shouldn't, you know, um, you look in the mirror, you might feel a little different, but inside, <laughs> how do you feel inside? It, it doesn't have an age, right? It just has a feeling of exuberance and healthfulness and joy. And I, I just want to help women be able to find that and forget about some of those other things that society is putting in our, in our, um, eyes that are telling us that, you know, we, we shouldn't be or can't be out doing those things because it's just not the case. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with Nicole Sinqui, who, as her Instagram notes, is an athlete, teacher, fitness model, wife, and mother. She is also the 2021 cover contest winner for Triathlete Magazine, a badass gravel racer, and a super fun freewheeling interview. You'll want to come back for this one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.